Welcome to our second episode of Aliyah Money Talks. I am thrilled to be joined by Nadav Allenson of Money by Viva Design, who's coming here to talk to us uh, today about a very exciting topic, uh, pensions. I know that's your, you know, what most people, uh, you know, like to talk about, um, but it's an extremely important topic, as you'll see in a second, and I'm thrilled to have Nadav on. Nadav, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're up to, and what you're, uh, what you're doing? It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I really think that your blog is probably one of the best resources out there for uh, English money content in Israel. Um, so it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, so I run, I run the company Money by Design. I'm a financial planner, financial advisor, um, and I help clients with everything ranging from everyday budgeting through to long-term financial planning um, and financial education um and uh i run a facebook page money by design where i upload lots and lots of content so um Wait, let's, yeah let's, let's rewind rewind for a second because you have some interesting uh experience before money by by design tell us a little bit about about your your high-tech background and, and, and a little sure. bit about that sure sure so i mean first i've been been involved in finance for a very long time um dating back to days in australia and working for nonprofits. But uh, after I made Aliyah about nine years ago to Israel, um, I was one of the co-founders of a high-tech company in Taligo Group. Um, we used AI technology to do background checks automatically on people and companies for investment firms in the US. And we worked with some of the very large investment banks and investment firms. Um, and, and in that company, I was COO and CFO. Um, and, uh, and I've also been volunteering for many years with a wonderful organization, Pa'amunim, um, which uh, yeah. has about 3,000 mentors around the country who are helping families that are in financial trouble to uh, learn how to get back to a balanced financial state. Amazing. So you're not a pension advisor, um, but one of the topics we want to talk about today and, and the topic we're going to focus on is pension. So why do you think pension is uh, so important to discuss? Yeah, so I think it's really important to say from the outset that I'm not a pension advisor, you're not a pension advisor. Um, and these kind of pension decisions you should make with a licensed pension agent. Um, but in saying that, pension isn't something that we have to kind of pigeonhole and place um, on the side, something that can only be discussed with pension agents. It's really important when you go into that meeting that you have a real good sense, background knowledge, understand the terminology, understand what you're talking about. Um, especially because pension is something that can be taken in the context of your wider financial um, situation. Um, and it really should be. And when you go in for a half hour with a pension agent, they don't know everything else that's going on. Um, and so it's important for you to have that understanding and for you to be able to bring that knowledge into the meeting. Um, and pension is something that's dramatic. It's probably in Israel in particular, the one most important vehicle that's going to help you build wealth through your life. Um, we're quite lucky that we're in a country where um, you can put, not just you can, you're forced to put away a very large percentage of your income um, into a long-term savings plan, which is accessible only after retirement, which grows and is invested in some kind of way. We'll speak about that a bit later. Um, and which has lots of tax advantages. Um, and so what, what, and is a what, what is a pension? In brief, if I have no idea what a pension is, um, what would you, what would you describe it as? What, what, what yeah. is the, the whole concept of a pension? 
So a pension is a retirement account. It's essentially an account where money gets deposited into that account. And the money that sits there isn't not, not like it's sitting in a bank. It's being invested in some kind of way. So if you're a regular salaried employee, then there's a certain percentage of your salary that's taken out before it reaches you and is put into that account. That's 6%. And your employer on top of that adds more money. Altogether, you're taking about 20% of whatever level of gross salary that you're on. And, uh, and that's going into this account. Um, that money there is invested in the stock market, in bonds, a range of different options so that it grows over time. By the time you retire, it usually can be worth many millions if you're starting from a, from a young age. Got it. And who controls my pension? Where, where can I find my pension? Uh, if I have a pension agent, what should I be expecting from them? Uh, you know, give us a little bit of rundown on that whole, whole topic. Great. So usually what happens is your workplace, if you're an employee, is working with some kind of pension agent, pension company. Um, and when you start work after three months or six months, depending on the, the um, depending on the scenario, you'll sit down with that pension agent. They'll set up an account for you and the money will start being deposited into that account. Whenever you want to make any changes, whether that's to the company that's managing your pension money, the, your fees, if you want to negotiate lower fees, the investment track that your money is, uh, is being invested in, then you need to speak to that agent that is, that's on your account. Um, it's important to know that you don't have to work with the agent that your workplace gives you. And I usually recommend to people to find an agent that isn't necessarily associated with the workplace. Because when you have somebody that you've chosen and that will stay with you from employer to employer, then you know that you've got some sense of stability and there's always someone that you can turn to over the lifetime of your, uh, of your working life. Right. Yeah. And we talked about the theme for this, uh, this discussion would be, you know, maximizing your pension steps you can take to, to, uh, you know, improve your, improve your situation today. What do you think is the most important step you can do to maximize your pension right away? Yeah. So, I mean, overall, there are like four different things that will, that will optimize your pension. But the one most important thing is to make sure that the money's going in and that the money stays in. Um, and so that means checking your statements because sometimes you'll have employers that aren't depositing the money. It might appear on your payslip that it's coming out of your paycheck, but the money doesn't end up in your account. And secondly, there are points in time at which you can withdraw money and it's almost always advisable not to. Um, and uh, if you're self-employed, you have a lot of choice as to how much should be deposited into your account. Um, and we'll speak a bit more about that, I assume. Yeah, but, I mean, um, let's, let's jump into that because, meaning, let's say you are, and that's me, you're self-employed, uh, you, you are required to contribute to a pension. Uh, we know that. So what, what are your options? What are, what are the best, the best choices to make in, on that level? How, how would you break that down? Yeah. So the fund itself works pretty much the same as if, uh, you're employed, but as opposed to an employee where, as we said, 20% of your salary is going automatically into that fund. You can't play with that too much as someone who's self-employed. Firstly, you have to manage everything yourself. You have to fit, you have to actually do those transfers, whether you set them up automatically or whether you make a transfer from your bank account into the pension fund, you actually have to make that happen. 
Um, and the law requires a certain minimum amount, which is quite low, that you have the choice to be able to deposit more. So according to the law, um, if you're earning up to about 60,000 shekel a year, then you only have to deposit just over 4% okay. of your salary um, into the pension fund. It then goes up to 12% for the next bracket, but it maxes out. So even if you have a very high income as a self-employed individual, you only have to deposit about 10,000 shekels a year into your pension fund. And you can imagine that for somebody who is bringing in 300,000 shekel a year, 10,000 is a very small percentage. That's about 3%. Um, and that's not going to be enough to retire on. Right. And so you have the option of depositing more. And there's actually a lot of advantages to depositing more into your pension funds, into your pension fund. Obviously, you'll have more money there, you'll have more money to retire with, but there are tax advantages. So up to a certain cap, if you are depositing money as a self-employed individual, then um, you get uh, tax, it's tax deductible against your salary. In other words, straight away that year, you pay less tax. Less taxes, yeah. Um, any money that's in your pension fund, similarly to an, an, uh, an employed person, will grow tax-free, capital gains tax-free. Um, which means it'll grow faster. And that's um, that's really advantageous. Um, and as we said, it'll increase your balance. At the so end for, of the day you're putting more money just to summarize, a self-employed person um, has got a range of 4 to 8%, uh, at least for the first, the beginning, and then, you know, a so higher the, cap the, for over 60,000 checkout. Whereas the, the, the minimum is four, it's about 4.5%, like on, on the first 60,000, it's then about 12% on the next bracket and then caps out at about 10,000 shekels. Okay. That's, that's, that's all the minimum. Numbers. The minimum. And, and to maximize that, and if you so, want to... In terms of maximizing, yep. um, it's, it's a little complex, but it's roughly about 16.5% okay. of your salary, which can, be, um, which can be deposited. And it caps out, all the, the tax benefits cap out at about 38,000 shekels currently. Got it. Okay. And for, for a regular employee, um, um, it's going to be in terms of a little, you're talking about six to 7% kind of range in terms of, of what your choice is for what you can contribute as an individual from your salary. That's in terms of your own salary that goes out. But as an employee, there's so much more that's going from your employer, um, into the fund. And so you're ending up with like 20%. Can you negotiate with your employer to, to increase the, the uh, the contribution, or that's more of a Karen Stamlod issue that we'll talk about later. No, so the, the the contribution from your employer is usually set. There is a slight range, okay. particularly for the pitsuim component, um, and uh, and if the employer isn't contributing the max directly into your fund, um, then there might be some flexibility. But usually, employers will have policy across across the companies to, uh, so, so speak a little bit about the, about that Pituim, uh, component. What, what, what are Pituim? What, what, how does that work in terms of, uh, you know, as, as a, uh, as an employee, what, what is yeah. being put aside for Pituim? So I guess we'll, we'll, we'll roll back in, in, in time a little bit to understand what Pituim is. Um, so the whole concept was that essentially if you get fired from your job, then you'll be paid out a severance package of sorts. Um, which was mandated legally. Um, and that package would be one month of salary for every year you were employed. In other words, one twelfth of your salary, which is 8.33%. Um, and that, that's the amount that you might recognize today from the Pizza Room component. 
Um, now it got complicated because if someone was working in a workplace for a very long period of time, 10 years, they would have, let's say 12 years, they would have a whole year of severance that was owing to them. The employers would have to manage that in terms of accounting on their books. Um, they wouldn't always have the cash available to pay out when necessary. And there were also complexities around whether you were fired, whether you weren't, um, all those kind of things. And so there was a, um, a change in the regulations that allowed, and in many cases, the, the change in the regulation required employers to not just set aside money on their own books, but to start paying pit swim into a fund that was controlled by the employee. Um, and, and nowadays, most employers will pay 8.33% every single month into the pension fund. And for all intents and purposes, it's a component of your pension and your retirement savings. Um, and when you leave a job, particularly if you're fired from a job, you could in theory withdraw that money out of your pension account such that then, you know, it's, it's about 40% of the, um, of the money that was deposited okay. um, into your fund, 8% out of the 20% that's going in in total. Um, if you do that, then your pension is going to be negatively impacted and you may not have enough to be able to, be able to retire on properly. Um, yeah. Got it. Um, so can you give us just a rundown of the different pension structures, the, the top layer, um, and what uh, are there any that you really should avoid? Sure. So um, this is where we start getting into kind of more nuance and more complexities in the pension system. Um, and also a lot of changes over time. Uh, even if we look back five years, um, the situation was very different to what it is today. And somebody that hasn't looked at their pension structure for the last four or five years probably isn't optimizing it in the best way. So there are three different um, vehicles in which you can deposit your pension money. We'll start from, I guess, the most simple, which is the least common, um, which is the Kubat Gemel. So Kubat Gemel is essentially an investment fund. There are no additional um, benefits or um, or products within the Kupat GML, uh, which do exist within the Bituach Minahalim and the Karen Pensia. Um, it's just simply a place where your money goes and your money grows. Because there are those extra products, which are essentially insurance products, it's usually not used very commonly, particularly by young people. Um, but it's, it's worth knowing about, and there are certain advantages, especially in more complex situations, but we'll put that aside for a moment. We'll focus on Karen Pensia and Bitwach Menhalim. Okay. Um, both of them are places where the money goes, the money is invested, and the money grows. The second component of both of them is the fact that there are insurances available and sometimes mandatory within both of those plans. So the Karen Pensia is the most common one. Almost everyone is depositing into Karen Pensia, and we'll see when we get to the conclusion that almost everyone should be depositing into Karen Pensia. Okay. Um, Karen Pensia is wonderful because fees are low. Um, we, can, we can go into some of the specific numbers, but um, you know you should be paying something like 0.1, maybe 0.2% on the assets that you've built up in that fund. Um, and secondly, the cost of disability insurance and life insurance, with it, which are the two different insurances that are included in the Karen Pensia, are also very low. Okay. Um, and for those reasons, 
Campaign C is, us is, is usually the preferred, the option. preferred option. Okay. Um, sorry, go on. No, as far as uh, the other one, Tuhminahalim. What's the Yeah. So Halim, I mean, there are lots of nuanced differences between them. We're not going to get into into all of those all of the, all of those differences. I will recommend if anyone wants to read more in depth about all of these structures, um, Ruben Shirazi has yeah, a great blog. Yeah, link to that for uh, sure. Rem That's great. Yeah. Remember the fish, um, and you can really go into all of the all of the differences there. But um, the Bitoch Halim, the main practical advantages these days is that there are a few differences with the insurance product. That you receive within the bituach menahalim. When we zoom into disability insurance, in the bituach menahalim, the disability insurance is profession specific, um, and so it actually says on the insurance what your profession is. And if you get disabled such that you cannot work in that profession anymore, then the insurance will, will pay out. In the Karen Pensia, it's not quite as specific, and it's possible that they um, that the insurance company could require you to go work in a different profession, which is still meeting your qualifications in some way, um, and that if you don't go and do that, then they won't pay out. In other words, the quality of the disability insurance in the Betoach um is higher for that reason and for a, a number of other reasons. It's worth recognizing that because there are ways without going to Betoach Menahalim to, to achieve the same quality and stay in the Karen Pensia. And you're, you're going to get a lot... Uh a lot better in terms of fees if you're with Karen Pensia then exactly so so I guess to, to summarize the two main benefits of the Karen Pensia is low fees and cheap insurance the benefit of the Betoch Menahalim is higher quality insurance and more flexibility around custom insurance that those benefits of Betoch Menahalim you can achieve even if you have a Karen Pensia um, by getting a um, uh, which is essentially a, a bridge policy, okay. a bridge insurance policy, to be able to uh, to bridge those differences. Um, and the main disadvantage of the Pituachmanalium is that the fees are high. In most cases, fees are much higher. Much higher. And that can eat significantly into your savings um, over a long period of time. It can result in a difference of half a million shekels when you retire. Um, it's, it's really crazy. Um, so those are the main differences. It becomes the, 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 the math becomes a little bit different if you have an old Bitochmanalim policy. Um, I don't know if you want to get into the, yeah, the specifics of it, but right. <laughs> that sounds just, pretty, just, uh, I guess, give, detailed for this one. Exactly. To give the bottom line, if you have a policy that was before 2012 and particularly before 2001, then don't cancel it without speaking and doing the math properly with the pension with the licensed pension agent. Um, because it could be benefits there that you would lose and you can't regain if you do cancel a policy. Got it. Okay, so let's say we're 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 we're, we're most of us are on the Karen Pensia uh, track, or that's where we should be. Now let's break it down a little bit more more, more granular. Uh, the investment tracks. What are the key factors? You know, tell us a little bit about the investment tracks and what are the key factors to look for when choosing which investment track should I be in. Uh, you know, whether I'm 30 years old, whether I'm 50 years old, what, what, what should I be looking at? Sure. So firstly, here we're getting into the area of, uh, of investments and, and, you know, we're obviously not giving investment advice of any sort, right. and we'll try to lay out the options that are available. So there are pretty much four tracks. Um, and in some of the pension companies, it's really been brought down to about three tracks. So on the one hand, you've got a track that is just bonds. 
right? You're investing in you're you're investing in in bonds of various sorts. Um, that uh, that's still an investment. It'll grow over time. According to when you look back at historical data, it will grow at a slower rate than if you are in kind of an equity or a stock track. That's, that's, that's number one. On the other side of the equation is a track which is just investing in stocks. And when you're and when you're looking at kind of that basket of uh, of options, you've usually got either an actively managed stock track or you have a fund manager who's choosing which stocks and which funds to invest in. Or you have a passive track, which is choosing an index fund, usually in Israel across pretty much all the pension systems right now today. Uh, we're talking about the S&P 500. Um, and you can choose to invest in that index um, and your money should grow in line with the growth of uh, of that index itself. So if you're in a passive, a passive uh, stock fund, for example, are you only owning, uh, let's say, you know, an S&P 500 fund that's tracking the S&P 500? Are you owning Israeli stocks as well? Uh, how, how do the, the, the passive uh, indexes work uh, here in Israel? Yeah, so um, there are some different passive options, but the most common one is just the S&P 500. Just the S&P 500. Got it. It's not necessarily one of the downsides of some of these automated tracks within the pension system is that sometimes they're, they're not putting 100% of your funds in, they're putting 90% in and they're keeping a certain amount of cash. So that those things, uh, you know. Whereas if you're looking at the Minayo track, the just standard, uh, you know, stock track, um, that will have a more nuanced, um, that, that, that'll, that will first of all, be more active, like you're saying, and it will have a more yep. nuanced breakdown in terms of, exactly. in terms of U S active, you know, international. Yes, it usually will. It's usually international in some sense. Um, you can always access the list of holdings, you know, there's lists of sometimes hundred holdings within, uh, within these funds. Um, and that depends on who the fund manager is and the company that's managing and what, what they're trying to do. So basically you've, you've given me three, I think. So we've given two. Yeah. Now, two. Now, 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 now we're going to go to the middle. So okay. two, two, which was, I guess, three. Yeah. Um, the most common track is either the clearly track. Okay. General, general track. track. Okay. Or the age dependent age specific track, um, which is also similar and sometimes is. Uh, in Israel, also, you could consider it to be like a target date fund. So target date fund, right? We'll start. Uh, we'll start from the, um, the the general track. So the general track is often the default, um, or at least it certainly was in the past. The general track is investing about thirty five percent of your um, investment into stocks, um, and the rest into other vehicles. You know, largely bonds. So, um, so a very conservative uh, approach for a young investor, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the age-dependent track is also approximating around that number. Um, for younger people, it's taking 45% and putting it into, uh, into equity. And as you get older, that percentage reduces and it goes down to 20%. Okay. So why does picking a track matter? I mean, I understand there's stocks and bonds and, you know, different active passive or thought, you know, target, target date, which will change as, as the years go on. What, what's the difference? I mean, uh, somebody who just really doesn't know this stuff and, and isn't paying attention, uh, does it really matter? You know, I'm invested, I'm invested. Does it matter? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it matters. <laughs> um, 
it matters because of the power of compound interest. When you're having it over a long period of time, over 30 or 40 years, um, if you have a certain amount of money and you leave it in the bank, then not only won't it grow, but it will lose value because of inflation. And it's the same thing when you're talking about pension. If you have money that's sitting in your pension account, um, if you're invested, let's say, in a bonds track, then it may not increase that much more than inflation. And at the end of the day, if you take, for example, let's say somebody who has an average salary of 15,000 shekel and they're, and they're saving over a 30-year period. So if, um, if they have it in a track which is growing at four or five percent, right? Something that uh, that you may possibly expect from from bonds. Then by the time you retire, that's going to grow to about four million shekel. Um, if you are investing it in in a stock track, then based on historical returns, again, who knows exactly what's going to happen in the future? But it could grow to something like fifteen million shekel. Now, both of those sound like large numbers. They're both in the millions, <laughs> but what does it actually mean? And we're talking about the value of money 30 years from now. So if we're talking in today's terms, in terms of the amount of money you're going to get monthly from the stipend, from the annuity um, after you retire, the, on the lower track, you'll end up with something like 7,000 shekel a month in today's money. On the track which you will hopefully expect to grow at a faster rate, you'll end up with something like 25,000 shekel um, in today's money on a monthly basis. And that's a, that already we can understand. We can understand what the difference is between those two numbers in terms of lifestyle, in terms of ability to do to, yeah, to, to really live three times. We want yeah. to after we retire. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that the stock track is right for everyone. Um, when you're invested to, um, 100% in equity, in, in equities, then there's a lot of volatility. The, the value of your holdings will go up and down a lot over time. Um, and that's something that's important to understand and, and learn about. But it, what it does mean is it is a very, very important decision. Um, if we said that the number one decision about pensions is to make sure that enough money is going in and money isn't coming out, number two decision is where is that money invested? Right. Um, and we can see here kind of how significant that Yeah, especially for somebody new starting off their career. Um, you know, this, this can really be massive, uh, a massive decision can have a major impact. So, um, that's yeah. great. So let's say I want to change my investment track. I law, I finally log on. I watched this video and all right, you convinced me I need to look into this and start, start doing some research. Um, does it cost me money? Do I pay taxes when I change my investment track? Uh, how do I go about doing that? No. So the nice thing is that there are no taxes to pay. Um, when you change between investment tracks, there are also no taxes to pay. If you choose to, to move from one pension manager to another pension manager, all of those events are tax-free. And to do that, you simply speak to your agent. So you can go and speak to your agent in your workplace, tell them I want to move to this um, other track, and they'll do it for you straight away. Um, if you are not comfortable with your agent, if you want to find a different agent, then you can also do that. You can go find a different agent they'll take over ownership and management of your pension accounts and they'll make any changes that you want to, that you want to make all these things you can do by yourself as well, but, uh, it's worth working with an agent. Usually, um, usually you don't have to pay them any money. They're receiving commissions on the back end, which does introduce a certain conflict of interest, um, and why it's important to really understand what you're talking about when you're speaking to them. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, they're the experts. And uh, if you find someone you trust, then, then you'll really be able to work with them 
and trust them over time. Are you paying a commission when you change tracks? Are you upping your fees in any way by changing a track? How do you, Usually do you approach that? You, it, in most of the in in most of the accounts, um, pretty much across the board, the fees are relatively static and they won't change depending on what track you're in. There are some of them that will charge lower fees, or at least they have in the past, for uh, for some of the passive investment tracks, but um, that's not always the case. Great. Fine. So let's go a little bit more uh, into the, the fees concept. Um, you know, we know the concept just like uh, we, we spoke a little bit about compounding, um, how how little changes in, in, in the percentage of your expected return can have massive impacts over 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 decades. In that vein, what about fees? Um, how What are the typical fees that you should expect? Um, you know, how can you reduce them? Are there is there a way to reduce them? Uh, how do you approach that? Sure. So let's try to understand what the fees are before we go into numbers. Um, and it's not it's not so simple. Um, when we're talking about the pension system, there are two different types of fees. So let's take somebody who is earning ten thousand shekel a month, and as we said before, about twenty percent of that is being deposited into his pension account every month. So two thousand shekel is coming every single month and is ending up in his pension account. So the first fee is a fee on deposits. It's a percentage of that two thousand that comes out. That out comes of, out right away. That comes out right away as before the deposit happens. You know, two thousand doesn't make it into your account. A bit less makes it into your account, um, and that's called the um, the, the fee on hafkada on deposits, um, and it can get very high, like like multiple percentage points, uh, multiple multiple percentages, but. Um, Generally, you should expect that it shouldn't be higher than one one and a half percent. Okay, so one and a half percent is around the range, and that comes right off, right off, right when you every time you make a deposit, every time your employer makes a deposit, as not to me, when you make make a make a deposit, that comes off right away. Exactly, and so if we start thinking about kind of what that is in in actual numbers, so one let's say one percent one percent of two thousand is is twenty shekel. So that's uh, that's roughly what will be coming off. off off the deposit every month. Okay, what's the what's the other type of fee? The other fee is a fee as a percentage of your assets under management. Okay. So over time, you'll build up more and more money in that fund, um, and it'll grow from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to hopefully millions over time. Um, and every year, you take a percentage of that whole amount. And um, and that gets paid as well out to the company. Um, that fee uh, is in the region of 0.1, 0.2%. Okay. That's that's what you should be expecting. We'll, 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 maybe we'll speak in a minute about uh, about more specifics around about, around the fee that you should expect, but just to, to understand kind of the uh, the context. That's so um, 0.1, 0.2%. Um, when you only have when you've been saving for like a year. That's not that much money. When you've been saving for multiple, you've been working for multiple years and paying in over time, that becomes a lot of money. And so we can ask ourselves, at which point does the um, assets fee become more important, more costly than the deposits fee? In the beginning, when you don't have any money in the account, the deposits fee is it's, more costly. the biggest fee, yeah. And, and over time, after a number of years, the assets fee becomes much more costly. And so... Um, 
if we take, for example, the default funds last year, which were charging 0.1% on assets and 1.5% on, um, on deposits, then after 10 years, the um, assets fee becomes much more important. It's worth paying attention. And if you can, optimizing the assets fee, the deposits fee is a lot less important. But as of a few months ago, the default funds switched their structure so that instead of it being 0.1 and 1.5%, the fees now for default funds are 0.2, 0.22% and 1%. Okay. In other words, the assets fee went up, the deposits fee came down, the ratio between the two became a lot, lot smaller. So already after three or four years, that assets fee is starting to cost you a lot more money. And unfortunately, it's gone up from 0.1 to 0.2%. So if you are able to access and there are situations where you can probably access an assets fee that's lower than 0.2%, and then you should be trying to... Uh, so are these fees negotiable? Are these fees your agent can, can go ahead and, and try and negotiate on your behalf? Are these fees you can call up and, and, and you know, do the, the standard Israeli procedure of, I'm going to yeah. walk if you don't you know, drop these fees? Uh, what's, what's Everything in Israel is negotiable. Yeah. Everything in Israel in investments is negotiable. I, mean, negotiable. I remember you, you telling me recently that uh, in some other countries, fees around investments are, uh, are, are set uh, in terms of regulation. And there's and, stronger procedures for changing certain fees and brokerages and stuff like that in the U.S. specifically, yeah, for sure. Um, it's different. In Israel, um, I imagine. And in Israel, it's very different and everything's negotiable. So um, if you have lots of money saved up in the funds, then the company is going to want to keep you and you should be able to negotiate lower fees. Um, the pension agents will have access to certain to certain fees. So they'll have kind of the default offerings that they can, that they can provide. Um, they'll be able to negotiate on your behalf um, in, in many situations. There are also situations which are worth knowing about where sometimes the agent isn't able to, uh, sometimes you'll be able to achieve more than the agent can achieve. And I have friends that have decided to um, break off with, uh, with their agent, call up company themselves, like for example, Phoenix, right? I've got, I know one person who um, spoke to Phoenix themselves, managed to get a specific content contact in the company and was able to get a fee on assets that was quite a bit less than 0.1%. Um, and so that is possible, but, um, at the end of the day, as long as you're in that region and you're not paying too much more, I've had some clients that are paying, that are paying between Manalim fees, not of 0.1% on assets, but 1% on assets, yeah. 10 times the amount. Um, as long as you're down in, in that lower region, then you're in a good place. Maybe you can optimize at the time. Um, you can keep an eye on how fees change because it's really changing very, very often, but, uh, but you're doing well. Got it. So you, you need to be in that range. Don't work too hard on that specific uh, optimization feature if you are in the right range, because you're probably not going to do so much better. Uh, did I get that right? That's right. And, um, you know, to summarize the, the really, the, the key things we should look at is number one, maximizing deposits, making sure our employers depositing, making sure we're, we're depositing what we need to by law and, and, and maybe up to, up to the maximum in some situations. And of yep. course, making sure we're on the right investment track for us, whether we're close to retirement, whether we have a very long time, we're just starting out working, these things can make a massive impact. And uh, that's really what we, the most important things to, to, to optimize. Exactly. And if there's one takeaway from, from you know, this whole talk, it's, it's that. 
make sure there's maximum amount of money going in and not coming out, choose the investment track properly and make sure you don't have ridiculous fees. Okay. Let's say you just, as an aside, let's say you, you want to leverage your pension. You don't want to take money out, but you have an expense you need to take care of. You have uh, uh, something you, 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 you really do need money for right now. Is there a way you can leverage your pension before retirement without withdrawing my money and dealing with the tax consequences of that? Yeah, there is. So both pension and carriage tumble, which we haven't spoken about yet, um, will the, the companies will provide you loans against the fund. Um, and in general, when a loan provider is providing a loan, so they're going to give you an interest rate that is commensurate with uh, the risk that they're taking on. So this is a great situation because you have money sitting there in a fund. Um, worst case scenario, you don't pay back the loan. There's an asset there that can be that, that they can take that can be used yeah. as a guarantee. Um, and so they're going to provide you with really good interest rates. So if you ever really need to take a loan, um, and, uh, and in general, I would, um, advise everybody to think twice, three times, four times before ever taking on debt, especially if it's debt that isn't designed to build wealth. Um, but, uh, if you are going to take a loan, then it's always worth checking with your pension fund, with your Karen Hishtonwood fund to see what they're able to offer you because they'll probably be able to offer you a very good interest rate. Yeah, I, I think it's really good to know for people that are putting away money in a pension where there's going to be fear of taking that money out and there's a healthy fear of taking that money out that they should know yeah. that, you know, there is some some ability to to leverage that. You're not just putting up money and throwing away the key for 40 years. Um, uh, it's it's building it's building value. It's building building uh, uh, assets that you can uh, you, know, you know leverage if you needed to. Obviously, you should, you should definitely think twice before doing that, but but you should know that that's there, and that's an important uh, factor psychologically. Um, For sure. And, okay. and it's yeah. um, even more than that, like the money isn't fully locked away. So um, there are scenarios where you have to pay for, like fines and taxes and fees or other scenarios where you're in major financial difficulty where there may be ways to be able to access that money. So... Um, Certainly, it, it's an investment that's worthwhile. It's good that it is locked away and that it is growing through to retirement and we, don't, we aren't tempted to take out the money. And it's hard to access. Um, yeah, it should be a little bit, right? Sometimes that's an advantage. So when we get our pension statements, um, you know, what should we be looking for? Can you, can you briefly walk us through it? I'll link to, to one of your, I mean, I'll put a, one of your slides in the, in the show notes under the video where, where, where you can see kind of what, what a pension statement looks like. But, you know, give us a little bit of background. What what to be looking for, and how often we should look at this? Sure. So maybe I'll, I'll I'll backtrack. I think the question before that needs to be for everybody: How do you access your pension statement? Um, and um, and it's not so difficult. So have a look on the on the page on the blog to see what the pension statement looks like. It's a quarterly statement. It comes out every quarter. Hopefully, okay. you're either, either receiving it in the mail or you're receiving it via email, and you're probably just not paying attention to those messages. <laughs> Um, but, uh, even if you, even if you're not, and you can't find it, have a look on your payslip. It'll say the name of the, um, of the company that's managing your pension. And that might be Klal, Migdal, Menorah, Altshuler, right? Those kind of names of, of insurance companies and, and investment companies. Type that into Google. You'll end up on their website. Click login. You'll type in your Turatzut. It'll send you an SMS to your phone with a code. Type in the code. You'll be in your portal. You then want to have a look at, you, you want to have a look for um, at, um, the quarterly statement area, and you should have a list of all of your old quarterly statements. 
download one of those, it's a one-page PDF. Um, now, what should you be looking for on that statement? So if we, I guess let's track the, um, the, the three things that we spoke about, making sure money goes in, uh, investment, track, and fees. Those are the three things that you should be looking for. So down the bottom of the statement, you have a list of transactions, every deposit that's gone into your account over the last period of time, and which month of salary that deposit was made for. Um, and every quarter, that's the one thing that you should be checking every single quarter. You should have a look that the deposits are going in, are going in regularly, and are matching up to the amounts that are being deducted from your payslip. It's an exact one-to-one -one ratio between the amount that is deducted from yourself and from your empl employer on your payslip and the amounts deposited into your pension account. Um, and you want to make sure that those are actually going in properly. Sometimes it, it doesn't go in because there's some kind of mistake or some kind of technical issue, and you want to sort that out quickly. Sometimes it's not going in because the employer isn't depositing the money. Yeah. Employers don't always do what they're supposed to do. It's important, you as the employee, that you make sure that, that your, your benefits are being taken care of. Exactly. So that's number one. Um, number two is the investment track. So there is a little box on your um, statement, which clearly shows the name of the investment track that you're in. And you'll see there the word clearly. If it's general, you'll see an age there, like uh, under 50, if it's uh, if it's an age-dependent track, uh, or over 50, depending on, depending on your age. Um, it'll say Minayot. If it's a, if it's a stock track, stock. So you'll be able to see which track you're in. And it'll show a percentage. It'll show the return over the last period of time. Uh, depending on what period the statement is for. So you'll be able to see how much money um, or at least what growth rate your fund is achieving at the moment. Um, that's number two. Um, and number three is the fees. So um, also by law, there's a regulation that shows exactly how the company has to show your fees. And they also have to show on the side what is the average fee that other people in the fund are paying. So you want to make sure, firstly, that you're not above the average fee, you want to be below the average fee. And it'll show you, it'll say, um, which is the deposit fee that we spoke about, for example, one and a half percent. And it'll say, or which is the assets fee, something like 0.1%. Um, and you'll be able to see those fees there. You'll be able to see immediately if there's, so, if there's a problem there, if there's something that doesn't exactly. match what it the shows, usual shows, yeah, fees should be. Exactly. It shows, it shows it really clearly. And so... At the end of the day, you should be checking every quarter the deposits that are going in, and you should look at least once a year to have a look at the fees, to have a look at the investment track. There's a few other things on the statement, um, and, uh, and that'll be a good a good reminder and, uh, and periodic checking. To see is it possible your pension could be split up into separate Masulim, different different tracks, or um, is is the whole thing going to be in one track? Um, how, how does that work? Just while we're on that topic, yeah, so so. Um, you can have separate, separate muscle You can split it up into different tracks. Um, you can also split it up into, um, into different funds. So sometimes, um, your money will be spread across five or six different, uh, different companies. Um, that might be because when you move from job to job, you didn't transfer the balance with, with you into your new fund. Um, and that's something that's, uh, that's valuable to remember that if you're moving from job to job and you're signing up with a new fund, you should really be transferring the balance over with you just for, just in terms of ease and cleanliness. You don't want to end up with many, many funds because you won't know where the money is. Um, and also when you look at your statement, your new statement, you won't have that historical view of how much money you've saved up over time because that money will be sitting somewhere else. So you should 
um, transfers. If you ever sign up for a new fund, you should transfer the old money into the new one. Have it clean. Have it all in one place. So keep it simple. Really well. Yeah. All these things. Keep yeah. it as simple as possible. Right. Okay, so you, you've given us a lot of your time. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to touch on on, on one last topic because it fits in perfectly uh, with with our whole discussion about you know employee employer benefits, uh, the Karen Ishtalmut. You know, can you give us a general uh, explanation of what of what it is, and um, you know, can similar optimization procedures like we just walked through in terms of uh, deposits, fees, um, you know, uh, mastulim, uh, different investment tracks. Can that can can that similar process be be uh, used for the Karen Stamut? Sure. So Karen Stamut is is firstly a wonderful vehicle. Um, it's a savings or investment account um, which works. You know, most of the things that we've said about pension are true of Karen Stamut, but Karen Stamut isn't a retirement account per se. Um, you are depositing money into it, and then after six years, it opens up, and the money is available. Um, and you can use it for whatever you you can use it for whatever you like. Now, why is it so great? So there's a few reasons. Firstly, it's the deposits, the amount of money that's going into the fund. A lot of employers um, will offer a carinish number to employees, and that means that 2.5 percent, on top of anything that's going out for pension, separate from the pension amount. 2.5% of your salary is going into your Karen Ishtalmut, and the employer is adding on another 7.5% and putting that in your Karen Ishtalmut. So in addition to the 20% of your salary that's going into pension, you have another 10% of your salary going into your Karen Ishtalmut, and it means that your automatic savings rate is 30% of your of your salary. Um, and that's, that's fantastic. That's number one. Um, number two is that it's also tax advantageous, which is somewhat surprising. Usually, in many situations, the government will give tax advantages advantages for someone that's saving through to retirement, but they won't necessarily give all these tax advantages to someone who's just investing their money, right? The government wants to collect taxes on any profits that are made in those investments. Um, but a Karen Ishtalmut, you don't pay any tax on, um, at least on the employer's portion, and you don't pay any income tax on the employer's portion that is deposited into the fund. You don't pay any tax on the growth of the fund, on the capital gains. And when you withdraw the money, you don't pay any tax at all. Um, and, and that means that it'll just grow so much faster and you'll end up with, with so much more money. Um, and uh, those are the two big advantages. The fact that you're getting more money that's saved and, uh, and it's put away. And number two, that uh, you're not paying much tax on that at all. And in terms of managing the fund, you know, your question about does it reflect everything we spoke about with pensions? Almost exactly the same. It goes into a, a, f a fund that's managed by one of these large companies, Klau, Menorah, or all the ones that I mentioned that exist. Um, you choose your investment track, very similar investment tracks to what exists in pension. And as a fee structure, it's a more simple fee structure. Usually there's no fee on deposits. There's only a fee on the assets. It's a higher fee. So if you signed up to a new account today, it's like 0.7, 0.8%. Okay. Much higher than yeah. pension. Um, there are ways to optimize that to bring that down a bit. There are people that have older funds. Wow. I have an older fund that's I'm paying 0.35%. Um, but uh, that's essentially how it works. And the number one tip Number one tip is try to get a Karen Ishtalmut. Number two tip 
is um, try to leave the money in there. Because even after the six years, after it opens up, if you leave the money there, it'll continue to grow free of capital gains tax. Um, and that's that's a really, really big advantage. And if you need money, as we spoke about before, you can always take out a loan against the fund. Now, the difference between a care initial moot versus a pension, a care initial moot is, is an added benefit. It's not mandatory, correct? Correct. It's not required by law. Um, there are some, some industries where union negotiations will, you know, already have it for all employees. Um, in the high-tech industry, it's relatively standard. People will, will receive a carriage done one. Uh, there are other industries where it's also standard. Um, there are some situations where you can negotiate. And it's, your employer. it's an added bonus in a big way. Yeah. And uh, I'll just, uh, so that we don't mention, so that we don't forget our uh, self-employed friends, um, as a self-employed individual, um, you can choose to open up and deposit into a carriage done You can't do that if you're an employee. Um, your employer has to choose to allow you to have a carriage done But as a self-employed person, you can open it up, you can deposit into it. Um, there are lots of tax benefits from depositing into, into the fund, and it's very, very worthwhile. Um, the only caveat, which is worth speaking about with your accountant, is that as a self-employed individual, if you're an American citizen, um, there are, it's worth looking into as to whether your accountant uh, some some American accounts will definitely not recommend it um, if you are a self-employed person. Uh, so make sure you speak about that with your U.S. accountant. That stuff can obviously get complicated. The whole PFIC issue you can read lots about that stuff um, exactly on, on the blog. Um, but that's obviously a big issue for us Americans. Um, Nadav, thank you so much for, for your time. It's been super informative. I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure the audience has learned a lot as well. Tell us a little bit more about where we can follow you, where we can see your work, where we can learn more about what you do and, and all the things you're offering at Money, Money by Design. Sure. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much um, for the opportunity and for the chat. Um, if you want to find out more about Money by Design or you just want to be able to follow to uh, learn lots about pensions about Karen Stolmut, about managing your money in Israel, and then search for Money by Design on Facebook or on Instagram. Those are the best places. Um, and if you're looking for any personal advice, if you just have questions, then like shoot me, shoot me, uh, shoot me a message. I'd be happy to help answer any questions. I always do free 30-minute consultations with whoever wants. Um, and if you're looking for something more in-depth around budgeting, around learning about investments, learning about finance, financial planning, then I'd be more than happy to help. Awesome. I will link to everything um, also on the page. So you'll see it on this page where the video is appearing on the site. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. It's been, uh, been a great show. Thanks.